Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga of College Coach. Today, for my second and third segments, I'll be answering listener questions about admissions and financial aid topics and merit scholarship topics with my colleague Alexander Gonzalez, college finance consultant here at College Coach and former financial aid counselor at the University of Portland. Remember, folks, that we regularly have these listener question segments, so you are welcome to submit questions to us. One of the easiest ways to do it is through our Facebook account. You can just message us. But first, high school seniors, have you started working on your essays? I hope so. It is September. I just had a conversation yesterday with a young woman who hadn't started and who didn't realize she would have to write 10 essays for the seven colleges that she was planning on applying to. She thought that because all the colleges use the common application, she would only have to write one essay. Unfortunately, that isn't the case. She was a little sad about that and realized she had a lot of work coming up. Also, it's important to note that the supplemental essays are at least as important as the main common application essay. So they deserve careful attention and energy as well. Um, All that was to introduce my next segment, which will be regarding the, the, or I should say regarding uh, my first segment, which will be about the Johns Hopkins and University of Colorado at Boulder supplemental essays. I'll be discussing them with Jennifer Simons, college coach admission expert, formerly of Northeastern, Tufts, and a few more colleges. We're in good hands here. Welcome, Jen. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Sally. Oh, thanks so much for being on here. So hopefully you have the... um, essay questions in front of you. I was thinking we could start with Johns Hopkins, and do you mind reading it out loud? So, Sally, I totally agree with you, of course, that the supplemental essays are as important um, as the personal statement. They are very specifically chosen by the colleges themselves to not only enable the admissions officers to learn something about you, but for you to understand something about that college. So it's really important that you see these um, opportunities not only as, um, you know, an opportunity to uh, exchange information about you, but to go and do a little bit of research about the college. So when I'm talking about that, let's talk about the Johns Hopkins um, supplement first. It's 300 to 400 words, so it's a short um, essay, and it's as follows. Successful students at Johns Hopkins make the biggest impact by collaborating with others, including peers, mentors, and professors. Talk about a time in or outside the classroom when you worked with others and what you learned from the experience. Mm-hmm. I really, yeah, and I, yeah so oh, go ahead. No, you, <laughs> you go ahead. It's okay. Okay. So I think, I think I really liked what you said about them communicating with the student as well. Um, they're clearly saying we want students who collaborate, you know, so tell us about that. 
Absolutely. I think that um, I think that Johns Hopkins um, has somewhat of a reputation, you know, and partially earned, of course, but, you know, as being a very uh, strong university in the sciences um, and in business. And I think that when people stereotypically think, for example, of a scientist, um, it's someone working by themselves in a lab. And I imagine that they um, want to counteract that perception, because that's not the way you do things at Hopkins. You really are engaged with other students, and it also comes through when you look at their, um, even their website, their their opening pages talk about collaboration um, and engagement, and so just to pick this apart, and I actually think it's very, very important that you do look at all of the facets of the question before you tackle it. Um, I like that they say talk about a time in or outside the classroom. So that gives students a lot of flexibility. They're not just looking for academic answers. Um, when you work with others and what you learned from the experience, it doesn't have to be a successful experience, um, but ultimately what you gleaned from it should be, you know, a success in your mind. So um, I think that opens up a lot of possibilities for students, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that and that is a really important note that it doesn't have to have been successful. Um, the only thing that has to have been successful is you learning from it. Um, and mm-hmm. I and it really is. It's funny because this is an essay that it seems to me should be fairly easy. I mean, hasn't hasn't every high school student collaborated on something? But I've actually had students really struggle with this one. What has your experience been? I've had students, strangely, that want to write about their parents or their siblings. And it very clearly says peers, mentors, and professors. I had a student recently try to argue that, that their mom was their mentor. And, and that might very well be, although I, that's not what they're getting at. I can say with some confidence that that's not what they want. It doesn't have to be academic, as I said, but it should be how you work in the classroom, extracurricularly, um, you know, clubs and activities. You could actually write about being, you know, a camp counselor. It doesn't have to be, you know, necessarily peers. You could have been um, the mentor. But I think that it's going to be um, better if, if it's really about people your age or people that you have learned from, because that's essentially what you're going to be doing in the classroom and outside of the classroom in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to highlight something else that sort of you brought up Um it's really important to pay attention to the question itself. I mean, it's because uh, the other thing that I see is that students say, you know, I'm going to be original or I don't really like this question. So I'm going to write about something a little bit different. And, you know, I, I can understand where that impulse comes from because the common application prompts are very flexible. Like there's you have a lot of different options. But on these supplements, you really want to, like, pay close attention to the question itself and really make sure you're following it. I mean, I I always tell students, post it at the top and then parse it out. Mm-hmm. Collaborating with others, including peers, mentors, and professors, what does that tell you? This is not about a family member. I think also, and I certainly don't blame them. I mean, your poor student that has 10 essays to write and thought that she, you know, had one. Um, people try to repurpose, too. So if you have an essay that you think is going to somehow, be, you're going to be able to cut it and squeeze it in here, that might be the case, and it sometimes is. But I think you have to give each of your schools the opportunity to sort of exist on its own, of course, with the exception of the personal statement, which is meant to be um, a common, you know, statement, a a common essay for all of them. Um, I really think that 
again, you deserve to give Johns Hopkins the time to sit with it and create, if you can, its own essay for it. And I think you'll feel really good about it. And sometimes students struggle and it might be, and I don't think that this is, you know, this is such a broad question. I don't, I don't think this would turn anyone off, but sometimes they get to these, you know, supplemental questions and they're like, maybe the school isn't right me, you know, so you have to make sure, um, too, that you really want to, to go to this school, you really want to sort of buy what they're selling, so to speak, even though as an admissions officer, I would have never said that, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think you're right. And listen, at the University of Chicago, I think I may have actually, when I worked there, I think I may have actually said that to students. If you don't like these essay questions, maybe this isn't the right place for you. There are lots of other great colleges. If you think our questions are onerous and, and annoying, then, uh, you know, that's okay because a lot of students think they're great. And those are probably the ones that are the right fit for us. I think Chicago is the place that people think of, actually, when they think of sort of funky, you know, essay questions, different essay questions that really give you a feel for the for the university itself. That's, that's mm-hmm. the sort of the, you know, essay, the supplemental essay, you know, God or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, the listeners um, should feel grateful. Anybody doing the Johns Hopkins essay? I mean, this one is they're only asking you for one and it's not that long. So be grateful to them. Yeah. Given how selective they are, they could demand a lot more. I think so. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And the University of Colorado Boulder essay is the same word limit in terms of 300 to 400 words. And I have to be honest with you, this is my bias. I love this question, and I didn't love it at first, but I'll tell you why I love it. The question is, at the University of Colorado Boulder, no two buffs are alike. Now, first of all, placement of buffs, you've got to love that. They're telling you, you know, this this is our mascot. No two buffs are alike. We value difference and support equity and inclusion of all students, and there are many intersecting identities. Pick one of your unique identities and describe its significance. I, I love that question because at first I thought it was very difficult. I'm working with a really amazing young woman who wants to apply to University of Colorado Boulder, and she lives in a place where she is very much in the majority. Who she is, you know, is, is very much part of the culture of her town. So she was really struggling with this question because she thought, I'm not really different in any way. I'm similar to, you know, everybody around me. And we really like sat down and, and parsed out, as you'd say, the, you know, ways in which she might be very similar to her neighbors and her schoolmates, but she doesn't live in Colorado. She doesn't live in Boulder. She doesn't you know, live in that part of the country. She's actually quite different. She would be a diverse member of that community by just being who she is. And so we talked about how that um, is going to help her write the essay. The other mm-hmm. thing that made me love, love this essay is that I went online um, and Boulder, I had no idea, Boulder has a very significant history of free speech and inclusion, um, and they put their money where their mouth is in terms of bringing speakers to campus from all different, you know, sides of the coin politically and in, in every possible way. So it's not just, you know, people think of, of Boulder in particular as being a liberal place as a, as a, as a place, not, you know, regardless of the university, but, um, they really walk the walk when it comes to inclusivity. And I was very, very impressed um, with that. And so this question spurred me to do a little bit more research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a student who um, is applying to Boulder. She's very excited about it. It's her second choice. And she wasn't sure what to say either. She's like, I'm a white kid from a white suburb. 
you know, like, what do I say about myself? And I'm like, well, what, you know, what makes you a little different from your peers? I mean, it's, it's, you know, who you are is great. There's nothing wrong with who you are, but you do have some different kinds of identities. And so she actually, I mean, she's kind of lucky, I guess, in a way, um, it was made a little easier for her because her father's French. And so she's regularly, you know, at age five, she was eating like escargot and, you know, stuff like that. And, her friends were all, you know, would tell her how gross that was. And, and she's like, no, it's actually really good. And she talked about how, like, that experience of being different in a small way. I mean, it, you know, she didn't consider it traumatic or different at all. But she said that she thought that it actually made her realize that just because other people don't like something doesn't mean it isn't good or isn't important. And so... I mean, this may have just been her anyway, but she talked about how, as a result, she's always been curious and, and like most of her activities take her outside of her small suburb. You know, she does a lot of service work and, you know, the local more urban communities. She, she loves to travel. Like she talked about how that kind of like being slightly different from her friends allowed her to embrace differences when she saw it in other people and in other places and made her really seek it out. And I thought, how cool is that? And it's such a small thing to start with, but it did end up being an important piece of her identity. Absolutely. And I think that if you, if you weren't French, if you don't, I mean, if you really feel like you are in the majority and would be in the majority at a place like Boulder, focus on the equity and inclusion part of that um, statement and really dig in deep to how you might be surrounded by people that look like you. And even though you know that you're not the same as everybody else, how do you interact with people that are different and have different ideas and different values? Why is that important to you? So I think that you, you have to dig deep into yourself if you feel like you can't answer that question about yourself in an eloquent way. But also remember, it's about interacting with people who are different. And you have to have done that, you know, in your life. And, and you certainly will do it in college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And I, I, yeah, I really actually love this question, too. I think the way they phrase it as well doesn't, you know, hopefully students do realize that they really are open to everybody. It's one of your unique identities. They're not expecting you to talk about being a person of color, although if, if, if you are, you're welcome to talk about that. It's like whoever, you, everybody has these different identities and you may think yours are unremarkable, but they still might be different depending on the context you're going to. Um, so, okay, I think that's great. Any last comments about either of these essays? Uh, other than good luck, I can't really yeah. um, think of it, but I really um, use these opportunities. It sounds so, you know, saccharine, I think, but as, a, as an opportunity to really dig deep into yourself and share who you are, but also to make sure that you are applying to places that um, fit what you want and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Take a lot of information from these essay questions. I, I completely agree with that. All right, Jen. Well, listen, thank you so much. I think those were really helpful comments. Thanks, Sally. It's so good to be on with you. All right, so everyone, now we're going to be taking a short break, but when I return, Alexander Gonzalez and I will be answering your questions. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes, Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, Alexander Gonzalez and I will be answering questions submitted to us by listeners to the show. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being on here. So why don't we, so we'll be, um, we'll be answering questions that were submitted previously. I think I'll go ahead and um, actually read you the first question, the finance question, and we'll switch off. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Okay. All right. So um, here's a financial aid question from Tony. And it said, I just paid the fall semester's bill. Can I assume the spring bill will be for the same amount? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so it really, de- it really depends. So I'm assuming that you're new to this process. Uh, you have a freshman in college. It's your first semester of paying for college. So there's a couple of things that might change or might affect your spring bill. Um, so it's possible that your, uh, spring deposit of the senior year when you enrolled, um, contributed to your fall semester bill. And so there might be a change where that's contributed. So there could, it could look a little different. Um, in addition to that, um, there might be some fees associated with your first year as being a student. And so some of those could be um, your health care fee. Um, or, in addition, there could be certain lab fees that are added to a spring um, semester that weren't included in the fall. But a great place to make sure that you know what those um, bills are going to be is through the student account. And the student account um, will have a list of the bills or the actual bills and kind of what fees are associated with that bill. Um, This is different 
than your financial aid award letter. Your financial aid award letter is a general budget of the cost of attendance, um, and your bill would be through the student account so that you can get an accurate amount of what you're going to owe moving forward. All right, great. All right, yeah. next. <laughs> yeah, so next question is from George. What essay topic really impresses an admissions officer? This one's always tough. I get this question all the time, and and it's completely understandable. I mean, the admission process is so anxiety-provoking, and um, so I think parents are hoping for a really clear roadmap, but there isn't actually like a specific topic that works well. I mean, if there was one, then it would end up being overused, and it would stop working so well, wouldn't it? Right. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, and there is something to be said for topics that are original, although I want to be clear that I actually have and have always valued sincerity over originality. So if a student has a story inside them that is truly original, they have something to say about themselves that is really original, then definitely tell that particular story. But if you feel like you're not original, you don't have anything, you know, traumatic or dramatic that has happened to you, that's okay too. Just go for something that really matters to you. I mean, ultimately, the essay topics that matter to the college are like, what's going to be sort of the best topic is something that the the student can write about as something that they really Mm -hmm. cared about. Something that like, that really mattered to them, something that they had to go in a little more deeply. So I'll give you an example, and in this way you'll get a sense too of how different the questions, a successful question can be. These are both from students who went to really very, very selective colleges. So one student wrote about, um, he had played golf in ninth grade and he'd been a passionate golfer since he was a kid. Um, And then he just psyched himself out, he choked, during the tryouts for 10th grade and did not make the team, um, which was devastating to him as a student athlete, somebody who'd always thought of himself as a golfer, incredibly devastating. So he wrote about like what he learned from that process, that the essay opened with him not making the team and how devastated he was. But then he went on to talk about um, how he, you know, his dad cajoled him and got him back onto the golf course, which he didn't want to do initially. He said, well, I'm a terrible golfer. Why would I play? His dad got him back out onto the golf course. He started playing with his friends and his little brother again and realized how much he enjoyed it and realized also that he choked because he had stopped enjoying golf. Golf had started being something that he was supposed to be good at and not something that he enjoyed, even if it wasn't a great golf day, it could still be a great day. It could still be a fun thing to do. And um, so he took that new attitude, made it back onto the team in 11th and ended up being captain in 10th, in 12th, excuse me, and actually also wrote about how that experience really helped him be a better captain because he was able to see when the ninth graders and 10th graders were choking like he was and remind them that really the first goal was for them to enjoy themselves, enjoy this sport that they had always loved. And I mean, what a wonderful essay that is, right? Like that. Yeah, was, that's great. Yeah, but that's not everybody's story, right? That's this particular student's story. Now, I had another student who hadn't had anything quite that concrete to write about. So she wrote about her bus ride home from school. She'd been going to the same school since um, since middle school. She'd been taking the same bus with the same bus driver 
um, you know, for years, like not necessarily every day, but close to every day. And so she sort of wrote about that as like her moment to reflect and to kind of look at her town as it passed by. Um, you know, she talked about saying hello to the bus driver, the same bus driver who'd been there the whole time. And just it was kind of this reflection on time passing and on observances that she made. And so it was a very kind of meditative essay instead of an essay where a lot of concrete things happened. And again, both these students went to really incredible colleges. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and both really reflective. So it's almost like that the topic might not be as important as how you show or demonstrate kind of what you've learned in that process. Exactly. Exactly. I could not have said it better myself. That is exactly right. That both, like both of these students were able to kind of discuss how they themselves had grown, right? But they did it in these very different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really kind of the key is a topic that demonstrates that kind of growth, right? So um, now I will give you a couple topics not to talk about. Ideally, it does not work to talk about, um, like we call it the triumphant sports essay, you know, the time you hit the, you helped your team win the big big game. Nobody's interested in that. (laughs) That's like, you know, that that just is going to come across as bragging. The other topic to be really careful with, and um, in some cases avoid altogether, is, um, well, the one to avoid is generally speaking the mission trip abroad um, and mission trips in general are a little challenging, but but a lot of the essays that are written about, you know, going to um, a country that is poorer than ours and building something there and your new understanding of poverty, um, it, those essays are full of pitfalls. Often they can come across as a little patronizing towards the people that you did the service for. And um, it, it makes students inclined sometimes to make statements like, now I understand poverty, which let's face it, you don't just based on one week, right? Like you have had some exposure and that's a positive, but that doesn't mean that you, you know, that you really understand it. So in general, what I recommend is that students write about things that are happening closer to home. That is, you know, something that has to do with their life every day is actually probably going to be the more powerful essay and less likely to kind of come across in a patronizing or negative way. Yeah, it should be, it, it should be fresh something fresh mm-hmm. that they can reflect on, that, they're, that they have the, the time maybe to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that as well. Although in general, focus on high school. I will say that. We're not talking reflect okay. back on something from kindergarten. <laughs> so. Well, that, yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> All right, so I'll go ahead and give you your next question. Um, this is from Tammy. My daughter is borrowing the government student loans she qualifies for, but I need a loan to make up the difference. How do I decide what loan to borrow? So great question. So where do we kind of go and explore? So there's a couple of tools that you can utilize online that have some comparison tools for um, for parent educational loans that can help finance some of that gap in college that you might not be utilize, you might not be able to utilize your savings. So, a couple of places that I like to look at is Magnify Money um, can compare loans, um, parent educational loans that you can take advantage of. Also, Nerd Wallet as well can look at um, and give you different rates and compare um, 
um, the safety nets or repayment structures that are involved as well. Um, they also compare opportunities both in the federal market. So parents have the opportunity to take advantage of what's called a parent plus loan. Um, in addition, they can compare um, some of the benefits or that the private market might have as well. And so when we're looking at kind of looking at um, kind of filling that gap with, with student loans, there's also those places can kind of help as well. In addition, your state might have um, a, a student loan program that parents can take out as well that might mimic some of the private or federal loans. Um, in addition, also know that there might be payment plans that your school might offer as well to help you stretch out and take out a less loans kind of moving forward in the future. And so a payment plan, typically there can be pretty, um, um, you can utilize some of your income. Um, a lot of my colleagues will say that um, newborns and college students are the most expensive um, years of raising a child. And so, you know, you've made it through infancy um, and the toddler. Now you're looking at um, working with uh, having a college student. And so there might be income that, that's already going to them in terms of your household budget that you might be able to spread out over, um, over the academic year um, and reduce the loan amount that you're taking out. So um, those are a, a bunch of different options. Okay, great. I love the nerd wallet call out. I go there for everything, including the best credit card. Yeah. So, yeah, great, great website, everybody. Nerd wallet. So. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, so Susan has a uh, a question. Um, my student has a learning disability in writing and struggles. Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, so has a learning disability in writing and is struggling with the Common App completing the comp now. What he wants to do a general writing he wants to do the general topic in the essay, but he has concerns um, of how to move forward um, with the application and wondering if from some of the oh, You can just read it verbatim. That's fine. Okay, okay. Uh, so so my, so my son has a learning disability in writing and is struggling with a common app essay to complete. Um, he wants to do the general write, general write um, anything, any, anything essay. Um, he wants to write a piece of fiction. Okay. Um, and so I have expressed concerns with the course of action because I think they want to know about you in the application. Um, but I'm wondering from someone who is an admissions officer, um, how you would react to receiving an essay like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Every once in a while, I run into a student who says, I'm going to do something really different. I'm going to write a story or, you know, they want to write, you know, even like an academic essay. They want to show how smart they are. And um, that's not the point. Susan, you are correct that this is not the right course of action. I'm very sympathetic to your son if writing is a struggle for him, if it's a challenge. Um that, you know, this, you know, 
writing something like writing the common application essay probably feels really unfamiliar and really challenging. And he thinks that, you know, writing just a story might be easier for him. Maybe he's somebody who likes stories, likes to write stories, but you are correct that they want to know about you, the applicant. So, um, you know, what I would suggest to him is tell him to write you know, a, a good essay actually does include anecdotes and stories. They just have to be from your own life and they have to include reflection. Like I, I mentioned in the essay that I talked about with, you know, not making the golf team, right? That's a story. It's a real story, yeah. but it's a story. So have your son pick out a story from his own life and write something about like, then, then have him reflect on what he learned from it. But you're absolutely right that this is not a good idea. Um, even though they do have that topic where they say topic of your choice, the expectation is that you'll see all the other essays and you'll get a sense of what they're looking for, which is something that's about you that is not a creative writing option. Some colleges will occasionally allow for a creative writing option in their supplements. They might say, feel free to upload a creative piece your son could certainly do that if the colleges offer those in the supplements, but but the common application is not the right place for that. So, yeah, sorry about that. I know this stuff is stressful for your son. So, um, all right. So let me go on to the next question for you, and this will be the last question that we cover before the break. So, um, so Alex, this is for you. Dean asked, mm-hmm. "Will I get will I get a discount if both of my children attend the same college?" Um, so like a discount, maybe it it depends. Um, so, so typically colleges don't give out discounts for both students attending. However, this potentially could change your need eligibility at the college. Um, and so utilizing an EFC calculator, utilizing a net price calculator can potentially change your need-based grants at the college or, or potentially um, change your, your student's expected family contribution to qualify for state-based aid um, as well. And so it really depends on the school and how they award their uh, financial aid. And so do know that need-based aid might change, your, so your eligibility might change as well. Um, to create, quote-unquote, maybe a discount. However, some um, financial aid that is coming from the college might not necessarily be affected. And so that could be the merit aid or the academic scholarships that the student is receiving. So that might not adjust. But so I always encourage when you have two students that are going to attend college or even the same college, um, that you utilize an EFC calculator to determine kind of what that looks like um, and how that might affect moving forward uh, your, your potential financial aid eligibility. In addition, if you have a particular school that you're working with, um, that utilizing their net price calculator can, can help as well in determining if they're a need-based aid that will change because you're, you have two students in college. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, great. So we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, Alex and I will continue answering listener questions.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. So, Alex, on to our next question. Um, I think uh, I think Kathy had a question for me. Yeah, Kathy had a question. Um, how do <laughs> colleges look at accomplishments like um, achieving the rank of Eagle Scout and uh, holding leadership positions within uh, Scout troops. Yeah, so listen, um, absolutely, being Eagle Scout, um, being involved in your Boy Scout troop is definitely a positive. Um, In terms of achieving the rank of Eagle Scout, I always like to remind students that, of course, to a certain degree, it also depends on what you did to achieve that rank. Um, achieving the rank of Eagle Scout is always a good thing, right? But there are students who do really impressive projects, and then there are students who do the minimum. And the colleges are going to have you list in your activities. They're going to want to see not just that you were Eagle Scout, but if you do something really impressive, um, it'll be good to provide them with some details or information about what you did for that. So I've worked with students who did really cool kind of long-term projects, took on responsibilities well beyond the minimum of the Eagle Scout. And then I've worked or, or what the Eagle Scout requires. And then I've worked with students who, you know, cleaned up a park. And um, cleaning up a park is a great thing. Organizing other people to clean up a park is a great thing, but that's kind of sort of the minimum level. So I just want to be clear that 
it's not just about these awards. I mean, and this is true whether it's for Boy Scouts or any other organization. It's not just that you're in this organization and you got this award. It's what did you do to get this award, right? So it's always a positive, but it can be a really superlative positive if you go above and beyond. The example that I'll give you is I worked with a student. This was actually a gold award instead of an Eagle Scout, but uh, I think this story works. She had been volunteering at a library in a neighboring town that was very low income, and uh, they had an empty room, but they didn't have a children's library. So she raised the money, got the volunteers to put together a children's you know, room within the library, right? And then she also continued volunteering at the library and she even instituted a um, Sunday story time for children that she did every day for the rest of her time in high school. So that kind of ongoing project was even more positive than some of the other projects I'd seen, all of which were positive. So in general, absolutely it's great, but just know that the colleges are going to want to see the specific details. All right. Yeah. So, Alex, we have a question from Anjani. Anjani. Um, It says, we make too much money to qualify for financial aid. Can my daughter still get a student loan? Yes. Yes. Um, And and they can also uh, um, be eligible for financial aid. It might not be need-based financial aid, uh, but it could. So it could be merit-based financial aid um, to help um, reduce that cost. But yes, they are. El- your your daughter will be eligible for what is called a subs- unsubsidized student loan. This is through the federal government. You access through the uh, through the free application for federal student aid or the FAFSA. Um, in addition to that, um, she will have opportunity to explore the private market as well. Um, um, so there are educational student loans that students can take out. Um, they typically need a co-signer for those student loans. They work a little bit different. While the federal government is backing that student loan, that unsubsidized student loan, um, a private student loan might need a co-signer as part of the application process. Um, in addition to that, and I alluded to this a little bit um, in the last question, uh, or a previous question, is that um, there are some state loan programs that exist as well that you can take advantage of. And so exploring your state's um, financial aid um, information um, or agency um, might lead to an opportunity for a state financial aid. And it could be that you're either a resident of that state or if you're attending a school in that state, you might be eligible. for. So each state has, um, well, there's a number of states, not all states, have state loan programs as well that students can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Good news. Yeah. But I wanted to think, think about your financial aid package as like a pizza as well, is that you're going to utilize a bunch of different topics, toppings to make um, and help pay. Some of it might be from you. Some of it might be from savings. Some of it might be from your income. Some of it might be from the college as well through merit scholarships, uh, work study opportunities, or these different loan programs that you can take advantage of. And so while making too much is a part of um, – while income, I guess, is a part of the equation for 
uh, for financial aid. There are a lot of opportunities and a lot uh, for families to take advantage of for help financing or paying for college. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think Patricia's got a question for me. Yeah, so Patricia has a question about asking um, an 11th grade teacher to write all 10 um, school letters of recommendation. Yeah, I think she was wondering if it was impolite or not. Um, And I just want to stress, it's perfectly polite. Let me reassure you. The reason is that it's one letter for all 10 schools. It would be very impolite if you asked her to customize those letters. And she would be, I I would in her position have said no to that. But that's not what you're asking. You're asking her to do a recommendation letter for all 10 schools. So it's one letter. Um, and uh, so it's not really a lot of additional work. There is some additional work, and so certainly you should be appreciative, um, but it makes a lot more, the hard part of the recommendation is writing the letter. That is the hardest part of it. So absolutely you want to have the same teacher be submitting the letters to all schools that you are um, applying to who want letters of recommendation. So that one's a pretty easy one. Not impolite, ask away, make sure to write a thank you note. That makes it very oh, polite. <laughs> that is great. Yeah, I always remind um, students to, especially when they're receiving a scholarship from an outside fund, is always write um, that thank you letter. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was I was on a scholarship board, and um, we were sitting down and having um, kind of a wrap up for that the, the um, because we had awarded all our scholarships, and a student had sent um, a letter to our director, and um, he was just moved by it, and he ended up giving more dollars to that student. Um, Wow. uh, Because of that thank you letter. So being thoughtful. um, But I also had a follow-up question to that, is that what could... So if you're asking for 10 um, letters of recommendation for 10 schools, is is there something that they uh, that the student could do to help guide that teacher and make their job a little bit easier? Yeah, good question. I mean, honestly, um, a lot of high schools and teachers actually will ask students to like submit brag sheets, you know, and I think those are very effective and students should put some effort into those. Um, for teacher recommendations, the, t- the recommendation itself should really be focused on what the student has done in the class. And so I think um, even if your student, if your teacher doesn't ask you when you request it, you could always say, I'm asking you because I really enjoyed your class. Um, I particularly enjoyed it for this particular project. I really enjoyed these particular subjects. And that way you're giving them a little bit more to write about, like that they're not just writing about their own observations. They can say with authority, you know, this student truly enjoys learning. They really enjoyed the XYZ um, segment of this particular class. And that kind of, that can sort of make things a lot richer. Um, So, you know, I think the first thing to do though is to kind of ask the teacher, what do you need from me um, to make, you know, what's going to make this as easy as possible for you because I recognize this is a lot of work and any teacher is absolutely going to appreciate that. Um, and, and actually, I'm glad you said it too because I deal with a lot of students who have kind of a sense of entitlement about these letters. I mean, they'll, like I talked to a student today, she's a lovely young woman, but she said, 
well, my teachers haven't done their letters of recommendation yet. And I said, well, it's September. You don't have any deadlines before November 1. So that's really not a concern. And she said, yeah, but it's making me nervous. So I'm going to tell them to do them. And I said, no, you really should not do that. That is rude. That is rude for a student to tell an adult that they have to do something. Um, And it's also rude to not acknowledge that this is really a favor that they're doing for you. So my recommendation, if you want a sort of polite way to prompt is to, you know, um, you can basically, as soon as you submit your application, if you submit it early, then at that point, you can write them an email and say, thank you so much again for all the work you're doing for me. I just wanted to let you know I have submitted these applications. And I can promise you if you do that, if they haven't submitted yet, that will prompt them to, oh, I better get it together. This particular, you know, Shauna has completed this already. It'll move you up towards the front of the line. All right. So yeah, I think- great advice. Yeah, yeah, I think you're not being rude that way, so it works very well. Yeah. All right, so Kurt had a question for you. Um, I've heard that families who make more than 100000 a year are not eligible for financial aid. Is that true? I, again, I'm sorry, but I have to say it depends. It really depends <laughs> on the school that you're planning on attending um, because income is an important factor um, but it doesn't close all the doors. And so um, while, while in some colleges, um, an, an income and the EFC, um, so I guess income might be a factor that might um, close some of those doors, but at other schools, they might remain open. And, so, and there are other factors that the, the financial aid forms are asking and evaluating as well. So they'll look at household size, number in college. They'll look at um, asset information, student information, um, all those other things. Um, And based on what the college's budget is and how their award philosophies are. So if you're around the water cooler and somebody says, okay, well, you're not going to qualify for financial aid because I don't qualify for financial aid or I didn't or my cousin or whoever it is, do know that it is a very individual, um, a very family-focused um, process. And so it, especially for, for seniors and families that are, are planning on going to college next year, um, it's a well-worth exercise to go through this process um, for the first year. And then once you have the ability to compare different award packages um, from the different schools, then... Um, that you can kind of see, compare and contrast what those different offers might look like. Um, and do know that financial aid is a part of, um, also encompasses a lot of different types of finance, uh, of awards or, or, or resources. And so merit scholarships is not going to look at your family income. They're going to look at your student's academic ability. Those are, um, whether those students meet or exceed have more likelihood to receive those types of scholarships. Um, Student loans um, aren't limited based on the family's income. There might be institutional financial aid that changes, so that could be based on the philosophy of the college as well. That could that could be um, awarded. Those could be grants or in, uh, or institutional work study where a student works um, on campus and it's provided as part of their financial aid package as well. Um, and so, yeah, um, 
to kind of get an idea of what colleges might offer or what your expected family contribution. So that's what colleges are going to utilize to, to evaluate what different types of financial aid that you can utilize that, that you might have the opportunity to use. Um, utilizing an EFC calculator and also utilizing uh, a net price calculator at the college. So each college has the opportunity, uh, has a responsibility to provide a net price calculator to give a family an idea of um, what their need-based financial aid might look like at the school. But that does not necessarily include the merit-based scholarships that might be available. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's that you have to apply utilizing the FAFSA or the CSS profile, which is a secondary form, um, or submitting your application and waiting to see what those merit scholarships might look like. Okay. All right. Great. Well, we have run out of time. So thank you so much, Alex. Yeah, thank you. All right. And thank you to Jen Simons as well. Um, Now I want to tell you about our show next week. Ian Fisher will be hosting and he will be interviewing a representative from Simons Rock College about early start college programs, which means programs where you can start college in 11th grade. Um, He'll also be talking with one of our college finance experts about how to live like a college student, meaning not a college student who has an expensive apartment, but a college student who is poor like a college student. So, all right. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. You can look through our through our archives for shows with topics such as whether one common application topic is better than another and how to find supplemental essay topics. And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time and it's absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.